0: Our next case this morning is the United States against Dylan Ostrom. Good morning, Mr. Tice.
1: Good morning, may it please the court. My name is Bill Tice and I represent uh, Dylan Ostrom. There's one key fact in this case that sort of overlays or ties together the various issues in, in this case and that is that the automobile with the locked containers within it was within the cartilage of a house. And, and that has real significance for the question of whether or not the automobile exception is is uh in play uh whether or not there would need to be a search warrant it has significance for the inventory search and it also has significance for the issue of, of standing which kind of straddles both of those those two issues
0: i thought the uh the officers had the permission of the occupant of the house to search the car on the curtilage so the whole curtilage question is overcome by consent
1: well the the permission and it was reflected in a in a signed document was to come on the property and to look at the car it was not permission to go inside of the car it was not permission to search the containers in the car that is in the record it it may be, maybe they should, the officers should have You know pressed for more but they didn't
0: but it establishes the officers lawful presence in the curtilage so there's no fourth amendment violation involving a curtilage argument and then the um, search of the vehicle after the officers ran the vin number and discovered it to be stolen is justifiable under the automobile exception or the inventory search because they were going to impound the car
1: well, I did say they are all tied together. So let, let's step back a, a, a little bit. I, I would not maintain that they were illegally on the premises. The, the owner of the premises said, yes, you can come on. And once they came on, they saw a VIN number, which suggested to, to them that the, the car was, was stolen. Uh, but that did not give them the, the go-ahead to conduct an inventory search. The, the Supreme Court has been clear, beginning in Katie versus Dombrowski, which is a pretty old case, that houses are are different from cars. Cars are not houses. When we talk about inventory searches, we're talking about searching some car that's on the public way, accessible to the, the public. It's it even the Indianapolis policy statement. Mr. Tice,
2: is, isn't that a separate issue? from where you started with us, you said the one issue that underlies all of this is that the car was on the cartilage right. of the property. And as Chief Judge Sykes pointed out, the owner of that property, a resident of that property, gave the law enforcement officers the permission to come into the cartilage. And you right. even admit that in your reply brief. W- so right. no question. how can the curtilage argument help you, given that they had permission to be on that cartilage.
1: Because inventory searches, and this is reflected in the policy statement, you do inventory searches of a car that is on the public way. You don't do inventory searches of of cars that are on private property, even though the owner has of the property said, you may come on. Let me just give you a very simple example. If If they had come to the owner of that house and said, may we go through your basement? And he had said, sure. And then they find uh, uh, Ostrom safes in in the basement. The permission to go into the basement would not give them permission to open up the safes and, and go through them. And and it's the same thing here with the, the automobile. They could go on and they could look at the car, but they couldn't proceed to tow it, and they certainly couldn't proceed to open up the safes that are are within the car. Why
0: couldn't they tow it once they discovered it was stolen?
1: What principle of law
0: prohibits them from grounding the the car and towing it?
1: The the principle is that there's nothing in the Indianapolis uh, uh, inventory search policy that talks about them towing cars off of private property.
0: Why does that make any difference? It's a stolen car.
1: Okay, it's a stolen car, but it does not give them permission to Look through everything that's in the car and open up locked containers that are within. The
0: well, car. that's a separate issue from whether they have permission to tow it. Whether they have right. justification to tow it. I said they're to intertwined, but
1: they're right. They, they have are just, separate.
0: They have justification to tow the car once they discover that it's stolen, and it has to be searched before it can be towed for safety purposes. That's well established, and then everything flows from there.
1: Well, I I fail to see the the safety purposes. Once again, we go back to this is not an inventory search of a car that's on a public way. Let me go back to the example of the basement. They couldn't come in here and say, you know, we have permission to go into the basement. And for safety reasons, we decided to open up those lock safes. Well,
0: the basement is not going to be towed away to an impound lot. Right. This is a
1: movable...
0: Right, object, But they could they have left to-
1: they could have left the safes there. They certainly weren't opening those safes to protect the interests of Avis Renicar, a corporation, and I think everyone agrees that Avis didn't own those safes, and they knew that Avis didn't own those safes. So the the inventory search when you get to the nitty gritty of what to do with the locked containers really falls apart and and they no longer Because of anything that the owner of the property said to them, had any right to go in and open up those safes. So, it 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 looks like you're 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 not uh, too interested in that argument. Uh, I I think that as if you're going to uh, look at the the other aspects of this case, you have similar problems. Uh, With the the idea that they never needed a warrant be because once again Mr. uh, Tyson,
2: do you agree that if your client knew this car was stolen that he did not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in it?
1: That that seems to be the, the law. Yes, okay And and there's really no proof that he he knew that it was stolen Isn't
2: it your clients burden though? to prove that he had a reasonable expectation of privacy
1: it is, but this is where it gets a little tricky, and the case law is is maybe not as informative as it as it should be. He establishes that right by establishing that he had a possessory interest in the car. Without a doubt, he was in possession of that car, and and then you come well, into well, was it the question? Is, the
2: question is if it's if knowledge that it's stolen is relevant. To whether or not he had a reasonable expectation of privacy and the burden is on your client to prove he had a reasonable expectation of privacy why wasn't the burden on him to prove he didn't know it was stolen his,
1: his burden to show reasonable expectation of privacy was to to show that he had the possessory interest and if the government wants to say aha you didn't then the government has to to come forward and establish that he knew but how it can was that stolen? be
2: sufficient even if you have a possessory interest if you know it's stolen, you've just agreed that you have no reasonable expectation of privacy. In
1: but he, there's no evidence that he knew it was stolen, and the government never presented it. Did your
2: client present anything about whether he knew it was stolen or not?
1: No, it was not his burden. So it's not there. The government didn't and present it. What
2: are you basing your argument that it wasn't his burden on? Because the law seems crystal clear that it is his burden to prove. He had a reasonable expectation of privacy.
1: The uh, I I think, and, and this is where I say the case law is not that informative. I read Shalola as putting the burden on the, the government.
2: But Shalola says, it, first of all, it wasn't. It didn't involve a stolen car, and it really says nothing about burden shifting. I read that a couple times, and I I didn't see anything in there about burden shifting
1: well if if the defendant had had the burden in in shalola then it's it's a little bit hard to understand where the court went on to decide the the case on the basis that he had a reasonable expectation of privacy what
0: about and, the evidence it, that he switched the license plates I'm sorry what about the evidence that he switched the license plates
1: doesn't show that he he knew that the the car was was stolen it would it, what it probably shows us he was cheap and didn't want to have to pay an extra registration (laughs) that's one explanation yeah (laughs) but what
0: about (laughs) court wasn't required to i
1: I want to button up my answer to to judge saint eve i think there's also uh relevant case law with the the collins case because in in collins uh which was the motorcycle uh within the, the cartilage Uh, There was evidence that the motorcycle was stolen and the defendant had bought it, but he didn't really seem to have a title, and the court was not at all troubled by that. They said he's got an expectation of privacy uh, with respect to this this motorcycle. Uh, So I I will certainly grant that the law in this area needs to be tightened up a little bit, but I am not conceding that he failed to establish his, his possessory. Interest. Collins
2: dealt with curtilage, it didn't deal with a stolen vehicle. I'm sorry? I, Collins dealt with the curtilage argument. It didn't deal with the stolen vehicle. So I don't think that answers the, the burden issue on who has to prove that he knew or didn't know it was stolen.
1: Oh, but in, in Collins, the allegation was that the motorcycle was stolen. And, and that's why the policeman came to arrest him. Now we 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 haven't really gotten to the question of whether or not they needed to have a probable cause. It's our contention that they needed to have a warrant, and since they didn't have a warrant, case over. As far as the the, the uh, if you're looking at it apart from inventory search, if they needed to just have probable cause and not a a, a warrant, the dog sniff in this case was was very. Significant. They, they bring the dog around, the dog does not alert. Now, the government says, oh, but the dog wasn't trained to uh, alert for drug ledgers or guns. Well, that really uh, slides over a lot of uh, background that probably everyone in this room is familiar with, the drug residue from when you're dealing drugs. It's all over the drugs. It's over the ledgers. It's on the guns, and, and dogs are constantly alerting to, uh, to to drugs if they're there and in, and in this case as it turned out drugs were there but the dog did not alert and well, and that really your client,
0: your client told the officers that he stashed his stuff in the ca- in the car so the fact that the dog didn't alert is sort of irrelevant no, he, here no he
1: didn't tell them that he he said he took the stuff to his father's house and and he didn't say you know in the car he he in In the car, but he didn't say he left it in the car now they were hopeful that he left it in the car they didn't know okay good guess on their part, but they did not know and they bring out their their canine associate and it's a, a negative no no answer so I, I think that uh, deals with the question of probable cause i i've got some time for rebuttal now i'll see you later That's thank nice.
0: you thank you. Wood.
3: Your Honor, may it please the Court, Bob Wood, on behalf of the government. Um, I think if the Court will permit, I'll use my starting time to clarify a couple of points from my brief that seems like there's some cross-argument. Uh, my argument about him giving his keys over was about the, his awareness and presence in handing the keys over, not a consent argument. It's, it was the seizure of pursuant to a warrant. So just want to be clear, I'm not making a consent argument about the keys. And then also, to Your Honor's point, uh, a moment ago, there is an Indiana statute that creates a legal obligation to take stolen cars for police officers. It's not uh, part and parcel of the policy itself. It's a legal reference in the policy. But, but, uh, and our, my citation in the brief was to the officer's statement at trial about that law, rather than the law itself. But it's, it's in the legal references section of the policy. That they have to take, if they know a car is stolen, and there's no way that it's not stolen, they have to take it. Um, And just sticking with that for a moment, the the citations that Mr. Ostrom makes to support the argument that the inventory policy applies only on public streets come from the definition section for public nuisance cars. So, of course, those will deal with public streets. There's a separate de- definition for abandoned cars, which this isn't an abandoned car, but that's the first page of the policy, and it says private property twice, plus the uh, specific provision of undertaking a search that contemplates private property uh, that we cited in our brief. Um, and, you know, it's definitely the government's position that under certain circumstances with lawful presence, whether it's on cartilage or otherwise, an inventory policy can apply if its terms state that it applies to private property as well as public property, even if the public streets are the more common situation. Um, On the search of the safes inside, uh, the locked safes, our position is that a second warrant, this is not like a Riley v. California situation where a second warrant would be necessary to get into the safes if the, the warrant already says The officers may take the safes and the keys and open them at a later date. The officers had the keys. They found the safes. This is, under the automobile exception, our view is they can open the safes. Under the inventory policy exception, if they find safes in the car and they have the keys, they can open them. Otherwise, the inventory would be completely incomplete and they would open themselves up to the kinds of problems. The second sort of problem that um, Opperman described, which is an accusation that they took something from the de- defendant. But all of that, of course, is downstream from the fact that he put the stuff in a storage car. And that, in our view, that's ballgame. Um, and on the misunderstanding point, I would just also add that our good faith argument is not a new, if, it, if the court sees it as a new type of good faith argument, then it's waived. It is merely building on the embedded bad faith <coughs> notions in Bird and trying to underscore the many ways in which this was a good-faith undertaking. We're not trying to expand Leon into inventory policy territory. Uh, I don't even know exactly how that would work. Um, and Minnesota v. Carter, Your Honor, I think, pretty clearly places the burden on the defendant. Um, if there are – and I, I'd also add for completeness that our reading of Minnesota versus Olson would – does not align with his reading. He, his view of the privacy interest that he would have in his friend's basement is not supported by Olson because he, there's no evidence he could have had. He could have asked for a hearing and put in evidence that he was a regular overnight guest or had keys to the house or had the friend's permission to exclude people from the house. But uh, there's nothing like that here, um, and there's no need for a hearing. The the facts as they exist. First of all, he didn't ask for one, and the facts as they exist are sufficient. So. Unless there are other questions, I'll rest on my briefs.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Mr. I'd,
1: I'd like to uh, go back briefly to the Indianapolis uh, policy statement. Yes, it, it is true that the policy statement in uh, talking about abandoned cars talks about cars that are on the the public way uh but but the point is is a broader one uh that as i say comes from katie versus dombrowski Dem, namely that you you don't really legitimately talk about inventory searches unless you're talking about a car that's on the public way cars that are part of the cartilage that's a totally different ball game and in that sense the indiana policy statement Uh, doesn't apply at all Uh, and and certainly uh, when we then talk about oh the police had to protect themselves by doing an inventory that rings pretty hollow Avis is not going to sue them saying oh when we opened the safes we didn't find the guns and marijuana and whatnot that were in there Avis doesn't care this is really you know taking something that applies in one situation inventory searches of cars on the public way and applying it to a situation where the policy statement was never uh, meant to uh, apply uh, finally i i noticed that the government has kind of backpedaled from its point about uh good faith although at this point i'm still not sure how that fits in and really this is a case that's got some real issues in, involved i i, I don't imagine that you're going to start talking about issues that the government never briefed below and certainly didn't brief uh, here. So I ask you to to reverse and remand. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Our thanks to all counsel. The case is taken under advisement.